Welcome to an all-new Restoration Today podcast brought to you by Nextgear Solutions, now part of CoreLogic. Nextgear is the preferred technology provider for the restoration industry and serves managed repair networks, franchisors, contractors, and insurance carriers looking to run a consistently smarter business. Manage your jobs from anywhere and communicate with customers in real time. Visit nextgearsolutions.com to learn how Nextgear can help you transform your restoration business today. Hello there. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Restoration Today podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by another podcaster from the industry. He has been doing it for a hot minute longer than me. It is Mr. Jarrett Steer from GMS Distribution. He is a great guy. You'll probably know him by the beard. He's been in the industry for a while and has a great podcast and has (laughs) great guests and all of those things. So, Jarrett, thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to have you here and I'm going to toss it right over to you. I'm hoping you can share a little bit about your background in the industry and how you got here. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. So absolutely. Thank you for having me first. Um, it's it's so much fun just to, just to jump on. And I know before we started this podcast, like, what are we going to talk about? It's like, ah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. So uh, <laughs> I love how casual it is. And that's yes. right up my alley. Love that. So uh, my name's Jarrett Steer. I own a company called GMS Distribution. We make power distribution equipment for the restoration contractors, uh, plugs into range of dryer outlets, provides extra power on residential jobs. I've been doing that for, let's say, full time, just over 10 years. Uh, and that's been been my main job is, is supplying restoration industry. Uh, this industry is also my main market. So I would say over 90% of my sales is in the restoration space. We have a, a distribution across the nation with many distributors. So our products are pretty easy to find if anybody wants to go and get them. So that's, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me and why I'm in the industry. How did, how did you end up here? What does your background look like? Like, did you grow up in construction, repairance in the trades? How'd you end up here? Right, right. I didn't know how far you want me to go back. So yeah, I, I, can I, keep I, grew asking. A, <laughs> I grew up in a family business. My dad was an electrician. Uh, so I had my journeyman license when I was 19 years old, coming right out of high school, uh, worked with him. I started making power distribution equipment for, I had a good friend of mine that owned a water out in Fort Wayne. Chris Laney made uh, some power distribution equipment for him just on the side. And then we subcontracted for a Paul Davis system, which I was more involved on the fire side, not the water side. So I didn't, I didn't realize that this, this was even a thing that people needed. Uh, Once Chris, like I, I made it for him. He wanted five more. I took it to the Paul Davis. They wanted five and then started taking it around to the other places in Fort Wayne. Uh, when 2008 came through, housing market crash, my hours get cut in half. And basically I start selling power boxes to supplement my income and pay bills. So I'm traveling to Chicago and Detroit and Cleveland and Columbus, Cincinnati, India. I guess I should say I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I have, I think a three hour access to quite a few cities. And then even going outside of that, Pittsburgh, Nashville, St. Louis. Uh, so I was able to go out and basically just sell power boxes out of the, out of the back of my car until a Ramsco saw what I was doing. And they were like, why don't you just go make them, let us sell them. And that's really like kind of how it started for me. Uh, about two years after that, I had too many power box orders coming in. And I, my dad said, get out of here, go make power boxes. And, and uh, yeah, I've been full time with it ever since. So that's kind of how I started. I, I joke that I'm an electrician with a manufacturing company. It was never planned, uh, but it just kept growing and I kept sticking with it. So how have you managed to scale your business in the way that you have? You know, I know that I think we're a little the same in we like things done maybe a certain way. 
right? And (laughs) so that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there are times when you have to learn like, okay, I got to let this go and let somebody else do it. But how have you managed to scale so much, um, mostly on your own? Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess it's just the processes. I mean, the Mm -hmm. processes here of just trying to find a better way, better solutions for things, um, just streamlining things. And that's really where I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's the answer. I mean, when you, yeah, when I first started, I mean, things were clumsy and, but you know, it's like, now I know that if I build that I would, you know, I want to build three power boxes at a time. So like, just say like, you know, when I first started, I was building one at a time. Then it was like, well, I'm going to do assembly lines. I'm going to do 20. Well, then that didn't really work out. Well, it was like, I'm going to do 10. That took up too much space on the bench. Like the sweet spot's three. You can, (laughs) you can do three, you can do three of them in an hour. And then that also gets you that immediate gratification that, I just got something done instead of you go a whole day and you see, you can't even complete 20 and you're just like, what did I do all day? So, um, that, that, and then, and then, yeah, just like streamlining processes, um, working with, working with vendors to, you know, create the right orders, I guess, and, and just making things simple, easier, less labor. I mean, labor is, I think labor is the problem for everybody. And, uh, and so anytime I could cut labor out of, out of something like that's kind of where my, my brain is all the time when I'm looking at how things are done in the business is really that, that labor is like, where can I cut labor? Where can I make more time for myself? And, and uh, yeah, we've just been able, been able to do it in how we order and how we process orders and how we manufacture things and how we ship things. It's really just streamlined down to the least amount of labor to get uh, a box out the door. So how much do you think it helped your work ethic? I heard you talking on um, a different, on um, Restore Your Power to Succeed with Rachel Stewart. You were talking about, you started working as a teenager. I'm the same. And I think that that's kind of something that's gone. You know, you hear a lot of restorers say, oh, I started working at mom and dad's company. You know, when I was a teenager, I was drying carpets before I knew what I was doing really. Right. Um, Right. But that's kind of something that's going away. I think the world does expect a lot more of teenagers and kids today, like grades are so hard and all of that, but how much do you think that that made a difference in your work ethic, learning to work and juggle school as a teenager? Well, yeah, no, a hundred percent. It helped. Um, I mean, I always, I wanted to get out of school and just go work because that's what I wanted to do. And I, I, for, I wanted to mention it in that podcast you were talking about. And I forgot I did. I tried to convince my mom to let me drop out of school and go get my GED. That way I could go to work all day my senior year. And I wouldn't have to take the three hours in the morning in class and miss those three hours at work. She didn't go for it. Um, I, I had to go to, I had to go to school. Dang it, mom. But um, no, like I think, I think just watching my, my mom and my dad, they're both entrepreneurs. They both have, have had their own businesses and I've, and I've watched them, I guess for me, it's like kind of timing wise when I came up, you know, it was when I was like 13, 14, 15, when mom and dad were just starting their businesses. So anybody that started that business, I mean, that's, those are your 12, 14, 16 hour days. Those are the days you're working harder than any other to make it happen. Uh, and so I watched them I and I was just witness to it. And then even with my dad's company involved in it, I, mean, I was working alongside him for those 12 hour days. And it was always, it was always just taught to me, if you want more, you work more. If you, if you want something, you work hard for it. Nothing's easy. You know, and don't be don't be afraid. Don't be scared to put in that long day. It's 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 gonna take time. And so it absolutely helped me in my business because there's still there's still times where we get rushes. You know, the the storm seasons and that kind of thing. Where hey, we might be doing a 14, 16 hour day, but it's just to me, it's just part of it. It's not yeah. it's not anything that's out of the ordinary. It's not anything that's that's even special. It's just that's 
that's part of having a business. That's part of, of being an owner. That's part of working. That's it's, it's just part of it. And it's always, it's, I've always seen it that way in my parents. And I've always, I've always been like that as I've, as I've grown up and, and from 14 until 40, it, it hasn't changed. Uh, if you want, so, if you want something, you go work for it. That's yes, that's exactly right. And I think you've also mastered, or well, maybe not mastered, mastered might not be the right word, but you have also maybe excelled a little bit in the work hard, play hard, right? I mean, you have oh, you just hunting for a while, right? So how long did yeah. it take you to reach that point in your career and your company where it's like, all right, I'm working really hard. I can play hard too. I think that was, you know, that's such an interesting question because and I think, you know, I mean, a lot of people running their own businesses, they know it. there's always work to do. You could, you could work until 10 o'clock every single night if you, if you wanted to. And, uh, it took me, it took me a minute to, to stop doing that, to start prioritizing, to start saying no to some things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right away, right when you start, you say yes to everything. You, you don't want to make anybody unhappy. You want to, you know, you want to do as much as possible. If it's, if it's there, you want to go get it, uh, because you don't know how long it's going to be there. Well, then I think as you, you know, as that business matures and as that, as it gains a little, a little more, what's the word I'm trying to like consistency, uh, you know, you don't have, you can, you can start being picky if you want to, but you have to make that choice. And, I, and that was a choice that I made. Uh, I, know, I know there's plenty of times where I would skip a vacation or skip going into a I was like, oh no, I still have work to do. I still have work to do. But the one thing I found out though, is when my wife made me go on vacation or I, I was forced to go do something away from work. When I came back, those things were still there. They, yeah. like, the work was still, the work was still there. It didn't magically go away, or I missed something. Like, nope. I came back and it was, it was still there. So I think that was probably, probably three or four years ago where I really was just like, it, like you can, you can leave. It's okay to leave. You know, if your, if your bills are paid and you're happy where you're at, and you know, you can say no to some things. You can put some things on hold and on pause. And when you come back, that that work will be there. You didn't, you didn't miss anything while you were gone. Yeah. And, and if I you think- have the right, right relationships and people know you, they know your work ethic, they know your product, they know that it's, yeah, I. Yeah. So, I've- and, and so I've worked it out. Um, I think I've gotten, I've gotten a little pickier over the years at, at how I do things and who I do things with, um, which has made it easier again, going back to that labor side, because time is, time's the only thing you can't ever get back. Yeah. I mean, you can, I can go get, I can go get another car. I can go get hunting. I can get another gun. I can go, I can go, I can go on another vacation, but I can't get time back. So that to me, I mean, realizing that is, is the most important and then starting to make decisions around that time. Cause I think financially, once you're covered, that frees up a lot of things. Yes. So once, once you're financially covered, you know, then it's like you start looking at other things. And I think for me and, and a lot of people, I think that's where time comes in next where it's more visible and more noticeable once that financial side's covered. So uh, even if I do go out of town, I know we're going to talk about, about hunting. I take two weeks off in Wyoming or I go to Wyoming every year. I take two weeks off. Um, and that's, and that's just, you know, I follow up with my vendors starting about two months before letting everybody know, Hey, Hey, I'm going to be gone. These dates get orders in. If you want, if you want them out. Uh, and then, you know, while I'm gone, I, Honestly, I don't think about it while I'm going. I go, that work will be there when I get back. And and when I come back, I work hard to catch up and, and get everybody taken care of. But it's uh it's been it's taken some time to get comfortable with that idea that I can I can just tell people, hold on. 
and, it, and it'll be okay. Yes. Yeah. And the planning part of it, like you said, like you're not just like leaving tomorrow and going to be gone for a while, but even so, you know, it, our culture is even, um, I think it, maybe it's getting a little bit better because of COVID, but even like when you're sick, people just like work through being sick. Right. And that's just, it's just, we go, 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 go. And feel like we can never take a break. And if we're taking a break, we're weak or whatever, we're the weak person on the totem pole. And that's not true. So no. hopefully we can, start moving the other direction with that. And this industry breeds burnout too, right? So you have to take time off. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And October's it's kind of a perfect time, but not, I mean, the storm season, but mm -hmm. it's kind of like right at the, if, if you're, if you're planning for storm season, it's right at the end of it for the manufacturer side. Um, yeah. I mean, by the time October gets here, we've already shipped everything for storm season. Now storms may be coming in, uh, you know, after that, but as far as me being prepared for my distributors, I mean, that stuff starts happening for us in July, June, July is when we see our big rush for storm season. Okay. So how long ago did you start your podcast? I can't quite remember. It's been, it's been, uh, like exactly two years. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So what prompted yeah. you to start it? Uh, I always, I, Every, I guess every year, every year I kind of pick a big thing that I want to do the next year on a marketing side. Mm -hmm. uh, so one year, you know, one year it was building a website. Uh, another year it was doing a trade show booth, you know, redoing that. Another year it was getting a store on the website. Um, another year was social media, get, getting on Facebook, getting the business accounts. And, uh, and the podcast was just, it was one of those, you know, it's like, well, what are we going to do next for marketing? And, uh, I don't, I don't know. I just, I had just started listening to podcasts and, and I listen to podcasts a lot because I'm at the, I'm at my workbench all day and usually I have headphones on. Um, if I'm not, if I'm not listening to a podcast, I'm watching the outdoor channel. Um, I, I really have a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Yes. But, uh, so I, I, I was just like, you know what? I, I travel, I've met a lot of people. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to try it. I wanted to see, you know, kind of, kind of, with that branding side and my business really is me. So like what better way to get to know me than, than hear some of the conversations that I'm having with my friends, but then also, you know, the people that I've met in the industry over the last 10 years, I have a, a lot of, well, and you can even tell the go, go back to that podcast. It's on Rachel's podcast. Uh, it's on my podcast, but it's the influential people uh, on mine. It's called who did what, um, you know, my story and how I got into the industry, and like I said, go listen to that podcast because that'll tell you everything that, that I'm talking about right now. But there was a lot of people involved to get me to where I'm at and kind of like very, like just these chance little happenings or relationships or these one meetings that turned into something. And um, I, I, I also have, I mean, a lot of people, not so much now. But when I first started out, I'd say the first five years, I don't know how many times I heard, you're not going to make it. You know, you're, you're a one guy with a, with a box you made in your garage. Like, you're not supposed to be here. You're not going to make it here. Uh, I heard it so many times. And I, and, I've, and I frequently said, you know, those first two, three, four years, when I was going to a trade show, it, it was more about me defending my product than actually showing what my product could do. I mean, it was... It was just going there. And I remember hearing stuff like, oh, we don't use that little thing. And I'm like, but this little thing does exactly what the big thing does. But no one would, you know, you don't even get that chance with some people to talk to them. But yeah. like I said, that's so a lot of those relationships that I have are those people that have believed in me. 
and and help me get to where I'm at. And I and I do feel a sense of indebtedness to them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's they're just such great people. So getting back to the podcast, you know, one was to get me out there. Obviously, it's for business, it's for marketing, it's for branding, but also I have such a unique space in this industry because and not being arrogant, but I don't really have any competition yep. per se. Um, so I'm, and what I mean by that is I'm friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. There isn't anybody that, that dislikes me when I go to a trade show or we're not in competition with each other. So I'm friends with all of the manufacturers, you know, over the years, meeting them, going out to dinner with those guys and, and seeing them at shows. I'm friends with, like I said, I have distribution across the country. So all the big, all the big distributors. And now I'm talking with distributors, though, all the way from a corporate level, uh, national sales level, down to sales reps in, in each city, down to the purchasing departments, the general managers of stores. I mean, and just showing just a broad variety of the people that I'm in contact with, and then the customer. And then, and then you start going to flood houses where my product is, I've, you know, I put my product in flood houses so they could use it and show it, uh, friends with all the instructors. And it's just, you start looking at the, at the industry and I'm, I'm, I have unique relationships with every aspect of this industry. And I thought that if I could get a podcast and I could, and I could sit down and talk with people and kind of share why they're important to me, to everyone else. And it's such a great medium too, because I mean, how many, I mean, I'm sure right now I have over 70 episodes. And if you scroll through there, you may, well, you may more than, may know more than half the names, but I would think a lot of people don't know many of the people I'm talking to, but each one of those people have such a huge impact on this industry. And, and I know that there's people that are using products and they're like, oh, I didn't even know where that came from, but I listened to your podcast and heard this, you know, it's like, oh, that was cool. Um, so I think again, just like getting that word out there, uh, letting the industry know it's, I mean, we are small, but at the same time, like there's a lot of people that kind of came before us too, yeah. that, that people don't know about. So, I mean, even talking with like those kinds of instructors, I mean, I think those are kind of my favorite ones. The people that the Barry Costas, the Rachel Adams, uh, Brian Brainerd, Darren foot. Uh, I mean, the, some of the instructors that I've talked to that have just been in this industry and helping it grow and be better for so long. I think so many people just go out and they do a job, but it's like, you're only able to do that job because of all these other people who have been doing it before you. And so I, I just like sharing that side of the industry with more people too. And I'm in a unique space to do it. So I started doing it. And, uh, and kind of when I started, I, again, like, even with what I said, like, you know, it's like, Oh, you shouldn't be here. Your product will make it. I remember people like, what are you going to talk about? Electricity? Like no one, no one's going to listen to it. You're, you know, you're wasting your time. And, and it was just like, well, we'll try it. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it every week for six months. And I, and I just, whenever I go all in on something, I go all in. I, I think I spent about $3,000 on equipment and I just went, we're, we're going for it. We're going to do it for six months. If I hate it, I'll stop doing it. If I yeah. love it, I'll keep doing it. And uh, we're just going to try it. And after six months, I absolutely loved it more than I could even imagine that I would. I really thought it was going to be a another thing I, I have to do during the week. I have to record another hour. I have, and it's probably the thing that I look forward to the most is is jumping on a call or getting face to face with someone. And the stories that people have and the stories that people share of how they got to where they got or where where they've gotten, they're fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you would never know that. I mean, the other thing too is. 
those are the people on the podcast. I mean, I've had tons of conversations with them. I have their cell numbers. Like we are friends. We go out to dinner, but rarely have I ever talked to them more than 10 minutes at one time. Yeah. And usually it was about how the show's going. Sure. But then when you sit down and I, and I know you're getting that too with your podcast, when you sit down with someone and you start talking for an hour, an hour and a half, the kind of like the things you get to know and the things you get to learn and the bond you make with those people and your network. And it's just phenomenal. I love, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited thinking about it. It's, it's so agree. much fun. This is my favorite part of what I do. And, um, you know, what you said about what you can talk about electricity. Well, it's not about your brand. Like this isn't about CNR. It's not about GMS, right? It's about the relationships. And for me, and I think for you too, it's getting, introducing those people to the industry, right? Like it's never about me. It's like, I have a hard time um, pacing myself with podcasts. My husband kind of hates me for that because I talk to like there are so many people that I want the industry to know. And I think you're probably the same. And there are so many people who are, who, whose stories should be told and deserve that platform and whatever, you know, I was talking about like Warner Cruz. I did a podcast with him yesterday and that was yeah. the first time he's ever been on a podcast. And for me, I'm like, how is that possible? Like, you're a gem. I don't know. But there's so many, there's so many people. I mean, Warner, Warner's a perfect example. There's so many people in this industry that are like yeah. that. So yeah. many. We could be doing a podcast every single day and it's, we say it's a small industry and it is, but there's still stellar people here and the industry is different. I came from TV, which you've probably heard me say, and uh, people aren't as nice in other industries as they are in restoration. You don't make the friendships and the relationships in other industries like you do here. I don't think you think so. Well, we've known and we've talked about that and like kind of why. And I think it's because uh, I was just talking to Jason Burroughs. He's going to be on the podcast, but we were just talking about, you know, the industry and why we're here and at the courts to help people. And so, so Jason Burroughs, if you don't know who he is, he's a marketing guy, but you know, he's, he said, which I didn't even think about, um, you know, he does, he does marketing and he does the, the SEO and, but he looks at it at the end of the day, when he sees a company get a review and that review is like, Hey, this company came in my dishwasher leaked, it went all over, made a mess. I didn't know what to do. They came in, they could. And he's like, that's awesome. I was able to connect this good company with this person having this issue and they needed help. And so he even, which is, which I just never thought of it that way. But so like him as a marketing guy for restoration companies, which is his focus, he looks at it as he's, he's making those or or helping in those connections to make sure people get the help that they need when they need it. Mm -hmm. And, and I even said, you know, with my, with my power boxes, I look at them and I, and I think, you know, when I get ready to ship it out the door and I'm like, when this gets plugged in, that's because it's on a job helping someone. Yeah. And and the restoration contractor, you don't make it in this industry unless you're here to help people. Yes. And I then that's at its core. So even going back to what you said as far as like just how friendly, how nice this industry is, I think it's because of that, because helping people is at the core of this industry. I and agree. if and if you're not here to help people, you're exposed pretty quickly and <laughs> you don't last. And no. and so so yeah, I mean, so I think that's where you know, a lot of this, these friendships and, and the way that, you know, the way that we're, we're small, we're a small community kind of, it's because we're all here to, at the core to help people. Yeah. So give us a few nuggets from your podcast, like not to call favorites or anything, but some of the like people that you've really learned something from or have said something amazing or your favorite people you've talked to so far. Oh gosh. You know, um, that's such, it's such a hard question because we've had so many 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've just had so many great conversations. And, and uh, I know I just put out episode like, seven, eight. And uh, I mean, I think it's, it's hard. It's hard to, yeah. it's hard to kind of single those out. I know that I would say for me, for me, it's the instructors. I think that I learned the most about because it seems like they have some of the most interesting stories of how they got to where they are. Cause they, they took it a step further than of just even, you know, the restoration jobs, but then they went to like, they just have a passion for making things better. And, and so, so like, like you look at guys like Chuck DeWald, you look at guys like Tom McGuire, um, Barry Costa. I mean, those people, Rachel Adams, you know, it's like, they, they didn't only stop in just doing the job. You know, they didn't just stop at doing it. They, they wanted to do the job better, teach other people how to do it better, which is like one of the most selfless things you can do, right? You're trying to be successful in this industry to go educate others on how to do it and find the best practices, never stop, never be satisfied. And I think, I think those, those types of people uh, in the, con- those are the conversations that I think I probably get the most out of. and are the most passionate and the most genuine and really they're just, I mean, they come across as like that. They they just, they're never, they're never going to settle. They always want more. They always want it to be better. And the reason they want it to be better is so that they can help other people be better, not themselves be better, help other people be better. And I think that's probably, those are probably some of my most, most fun conversations that I look forward to is when, when I know I'm getting, I'm getting an instructor who's been doing it for years because I'm going to figure out where they came from, mm-hmm. how they came up, where they were working, how they got into the space they're in now. And, and they just have, they have great stories and great passion and they're, they're so genuine. And I think those are the, those are some of my favorite conversations. Yeah. Um, so do you, maybe they haven't been on your podcast, but do you see any up and coming influencers in the restoration industry? I think we're kind of going through this interesting generational shift as people are phasing out, baby boomers are selling next generations coming up and there are other new people coming into the industry. Do you see any kind of influencers out there? I'm, I honestly, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where it's going. I've thought about it. We've tried to predict it a couple of times. Um, but you know, I know when I know when I started, um, it seemed like I said I was going door to door a lot, and so you usually, I mean, you I could go into a city and usually you had five to six companies that were the multi trucks and they were the big they were the big players, uh, and then there were there really weren't that many like owner operators. Like it was either like you had you had three trucks or more, or you really weren't doing much, um, and and now I see. I see so like so many people are getting bought up and acquired, and so on one side you have all these large companies getting acquired, which is just creating like now mass national companies, and there's so yeah. many, there's a lot of them, and they're growing, and that's that's something that's new. Um, where you know you used to used to have the DKI that would bring everybody together, or these other uh, groups, you know, that you could be a part of that would bring people now people are just buying other people and now they have branches everywhere. So there's, there's that going on, but then there's also this whole, this whole side where there are a lot of owner operators right now. There are a lot of one guy in the truck. And I think the education piece, you know, it's very, it's out there for everyone. And I think the, I think the Facebook group, and I'm not here to debate if it's good or bad, but, and honestly, I don't know. I don't know if in the years coming, it's good or bad, but 
you know, a lot of, a lot of these groups have made information accessible and how to do jobs accessible. And basically, and I guess what I mean is like starting up a restoration company accessible for a lot of people who want to. So I almost saw this shift where, you know, usually there was five or six companies that were of a general size. Maybe there was somebody that was real big to where now it's either a really big company and then a bunch of really small companies. Mm -hmm. And, and so I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know where, where it goes from here, but it's, it is kind of the, the shift that I'm seeing in the, in the industry. All right. So a question I like asking everybody, especially people who have background in the trades, what is it going to take to attract more people into restoration? We're going to have a, like, we have a labor shortage issue now. It's going to get worse before it gets better if we don't figure this out. It's yeah, it's definitely, I mean, every, there's a labor shortage with, with everyone. I mean, I could, I can go to the UPS five days a week and one of the days it'll be closed because of a labor issue. Yep. Uh, you go to your restaurant and the dining room's closed because of a labor issue. You know, and that stuff, I mean, those are two things that have happened to me in the last two weeks that, I, that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it is happening everywhere. Um, I think that, I think ah, it's so difficult. It's so, it's so difficult too, because now if you want anyone to show up to work, you're paying them so much. Mm -hmm. And so wages keep going higher. But I think, I think to get people into the restoration space, um, I think you're looking for somebody pretty specific. but I think to be able to show, you know, that, 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 that there is some immediate gratification in what you do, you're going to show up to a job that's, that's complete chaos. If you, if you want to help people and you have empathy, you can show up and you can, Hey, I'm going to take care of this for you. At the end of the day, you get that immediate gratification because you did, you did a job. You could visibly see what you did and accomplished in one day. Uh, then the other cool thing I hear a lot of people say that they like about the industry is, you know, you go four or five days, you leave that job and go to another one. You're not stuck on the same job for three months. Yeah. You know, you're, you're constantly doing something new. You're responding. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there could be burnout. But I think, um, I think letting people like, I think once you get somebody in, mm -hmm. then it's, then it's a matter of, of keeping them. I don't know. I don't know the answer to hiring someone, but I think that once you do hire them, it's, it's that, it's that immediate feedback. I think that this, I, I'm just, I think that the people, I just like people in general, but especially the next generation, they want this immediate feedback. I mean, they're used to it. They're used to it in their technology. They're used to it in school. They take a test. They know the grade two minutes later. Um, you know, it's, it's all immediate. And so if they go three or four months and their boss doesn't tell them good job or tell them how they're doing or how they can improve, I think it's, I think it's more of that. It's more of those one-on-one -on -one meetings more frequently once a week. I mean, at the least, and and really trying to build family in your business, community in your business, and I guess I mean a synergy, but then also you know this this feedback of where we are, where we're going, how we're going to get there, and then how you're doing individually. But you have to be giving that feedback so constant. I mean, just constant and consistent. And I think if you can if you can do that, then you're going to start building trust. And when you build trust, now you have culture. And I think it's those things that, that'll keep people here. And I know I've talked to, I mean, we don't really get into it on the podcast, but, you know, kind of off, off screen or, you know, when we're not recording, we're asking like, cause I do, I, I wonder like, Hey, how often are you giving feedback to people? And some people don't do it at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and, it, and to me, and, and I see it with my son, my son's 19. I mean, he loves to be patted on the back three times a day. 
<laughs> that's that's he, yep. he loves I mean, he loves that and if you don't talk to him for three days he gets mopey and he gets depressed and he doesn't like that and <laughs> i think that having people and especially us as owners who are just used to self-starting and go yeah. go go and just give me the job i'm gonna go get it done i don't need anybody over my shoulder or, it's yep. different. It's different when you have people, team members working for you. They, especially the younger guys and girls, they, I, I, I think it's, I think it's that. I think a lot of things could be better with those, the consistency of, of the morning meetings, uh, transparency and, and feedback, whether mm-hmm. it's good or bad, but constant and consistent feedback. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that for sure. Um, okay, so before we wrap it up, you were talking about you listen to a lot of podcasts. So, what are some of your yeah. favorites? Oh gosh, yeah, um, the one that I'm into, the stuff the stuff I listen to is probably like terrible. No one wants to listen to it. Um, <laughs> I listen I listen to a lot of hunting podcasts. Uh, that's yeah. probably that's probably my favorite. I have I have some of those that I really like. Uh, Nick Levy, I'm going to blame this on him. This isn't my fault. This is Nick's fault. Uh, Nick Levy got me started on a podcast called Time Suck. Okay. Uh, it's it's very vulgar. It's Is very it offensive. Suck? It's called Time Suck, um, and it's and it's hosted by a comedian, and he dives into top. Well, just so the one I just listened to, Hell's Angels, and okay. he dives into the Hell's Angels for two and a half hours, where they started, who started it, the different chapter. I mean, all the research. He basically is like let me go do 10 hours of research on a topic and I'm going to report back. But then he's a comedian. So in the middle of it, he'll just make it. Well, for instance, I'm like so bad at examples. No, everyone's going to be like, what are you talking about? No, this is a great example. I love it. I mean, you know, he's talking about Hells Angels and motorcycle clubs. And then in the middle of it, I think he threw in like the, 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 the Cleveland steamers or something, which is a made up club. And he just makes, so he's like, just interjects like fun and made up stuff. But at the same time, it kind of keeps you on your toes because you'll be hearing him talk. You're like, wait, that doesn't sound right. And like, <laughs> no, I was joking. Move on. And um, I don't know. Okay. I find it, I find it entertaining and educational. And, uh, and he does a lot of, of interesting topics on things that I like. He does a lot of true crime stuff too. Um, so, but again, very vulgar. If you, if you can't handle uh, like, a comedian, like going to the comedy club and sitting there and not being offended. Yeah. Uh, don't go listen to Time Suck. If if you love the comedy club and you love true crime and history, yeah, go check it out. You might like it. Okay, fair. But it's Nick and- Levy's fault, not mine. Nick Levy. Okay, <laughs> got it, got it. I go down the true crime rabbit hole very quickly. I probably just recently listened to like five different podcasts on Jack the Ripper, and it's like, okay, you got to just let it go. <laughs> That's fine. Um, okay. Anything else you want to add to our conversation before we wrap it up? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I, I love, you know, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess one thing I want to add and kind of going back to you know why I started the podcast and now I've been doing it for two years. Uh, I know Eric and Larry at Blue Collar. I think mm-hmm. they're almost three years. I mean, that they've been doing it, but I've seen a lot of, of new podcasts come out. I mean, with, since I've been doing it, I've seen, Doors, Rachel's, um, there's like restoration, devastation or something. There's the resto. (laughs) Domination, but yes. Domination. Yes. That one. Rico. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's, there's that one. There's, uh, well, John Isaacson's got his, um, Rachel. I might've said that already, but you know, so many people are, are coming out and I'm really, I love that. Oh, Clark Brown. He's got one. 
Yeah. Um, and I remember a couple people have reached out to me and they're like, Hey, you know, we, I was thinking about starting a podcast, but I don't want you to think I'm copying you. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like the more information we can get, like, and, and again, too, like the market is so big. Somebody who wants to listen to me isn't, doesn't want to listen to somebody else. Someone who doesn't want to listen to me wants to listen to somebody else. Like there's so much of an overlap there. And I'm, and I'm really happy that this space, um, is, I mean, that it's available for people to come mm-hmm. out and do a podcast. And I kind of, I, I don't even want to say it, but like, I kind of like think to myself, like, like I started it, like I came out, showed that it could be successful and, and other people were like, well, that, you know, well, if Jared can do it, I can do it kind of thing. Or, you know, that I, that I kind of helped create a space for it in the restoration. And I think that this without like tuning my own horn, I don't know, but no, I just think, I think true. it's great. I think it's, I think it's great that there's so many people and, and getting content out there and it just, I mean, it just makes it to where, you know, that education piece of the restoration industry, I mean, knowledge is power. And, and here's a whole other platform where we have a whole lot more knowledge. And I think that, I think I like the, the platform too, better than a lot of the other media platforms, because yeah. you do get to have these longer in-depth conversations about topics that can really change your business. I mean, I know just in, most of the time we just bullshit on my podcast I mean, we just, it's just friends talking to friends. We don't really have an agenda, but I mean, I, I get, I get messages from people that are like, dude, I listened to this one and you guys were talking about this and it really helped me with what I had going on. So I know if I'm getting it, then people like you uh, and these other podcasts who are really putting out good content. Uh, I know you guys are getting it too and helping, helping the industry solve some problems. So I think it's fantastic. I think it's, I think it's great. I agree. And our formats are all a little bit different too, right? I like, I think you draw out more personal stories than I'm able to. I kind of keep mine like short, concise. And when it's a friend like you or some other people that I know, you know, I might draw a little bit more on the personal, but, and then, you know, Rachel, I think hers is maybe more business development leadership side of thing. And then John is quirky. <laughs> John's John's John. I love John. I love John. So yeah. John is John. Um, so everybody just has this different niche and format and style and it does all work out. And there are so many people worth talking to. So Jarrett, yeah. thank you. You're awesome. Yeah. I appreciate this conversation very much. And- well, and we have to, well, and I'm, I'm disappointed right now because last time I talked to you, you didn't own a magazine and I wanted to talk about that and we don't have time for it right now on this one, but you have to be on mine again and do a follow-up on your first podcast. Cause I, I want to hear all about this story. This is a great story. Okay. I'm, I'm happy to, it's been fun to share the story and it keeps evolving and all that. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I've appreciated the industry very much. I don't know. Like you said, so many people helped you get where you are. I am absolutely the same. I am deeply indebted to a lot of people, both inside this industry and outside, but mostly in to getting here. Well, then if I can remember John's podcast, you killed a lot of people to get here too, right? Yes, this is the hostile takeover. Yes, <laughs> reign of terror and hostile takeover, according to John and his editing He's so funny. skills. I'm like, Lord, child, I don't know what to do with you and your anything. I was joking on somebody else's podcast. I sat in on a session with him at Core, and his humor is funny. But if you don't know John, it's like people don't get his humor. And so I'm sitting there, like, guys, that was a joke. That was funny, and people are like, yeah, no, it's funny. Oh, same thing. Oh, and I, I want to clear something else. I think, did you talk to Eric and Larry? Were you on their podcast or you? And they, they brought up a story where John called DoorDash. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. 
Yep. Okay. I want to, I want to clear this up. He did not call DoorDash. I had a FedEx delivery that I had to go sign for. And when I went for it, he claimed while I was gone and couldn't defend myself that he called DoorDash. And somehow everyone now thinks like, so as witty as John is, he's not, he's not that witty to call a DoorDash on me. So I just want to clear that up. Hilarious. That was on, just, I think Larry and Aaron were talking to. about it on mine when I talked to them in Florida a month or so ago. That's funny. Yeah, they, again, they made it sound like it was true that he did that. And I'm like, no, he, no, I had a Senate. So anyway, it's, okay. it's probably useless. It's useless to even try to defend it. I'll, John, I'll, I'll get my Briggs. husband to cut this into my year-end blooper reel. So like it's their explanation <laughs> and your explanation. Just to clear this up, here you go. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Don't give John too much credit. <laughs> uh, John is John is great. He's helping me track down the CNR archives. Bless his heart. So, anyway. Oh, very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I have loved chatting with you. I'm sure we'll see each other at shows in 2022. I'd love to chat more and keep catching up. Sounds good. Can't wait Thanks. for the next one. Same. For more restoration today, visit our website cnrmagazine.com. Or find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts.